Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad al-Fatihi lima ugalik wa khatimi lima sabaq. Nasr al-Haqi bil-Haqi wal-Hadi ila siratika al-Mustaqim. Wa ala adihi haqqa qadirihi wa miktarihi al-Azim. O Allah, we ask you to send your blessings upon our Master Muhammad, the opener of what was closed, and the seal of what came before him, champion of the truth by the truth, and guide to the straight path and upon his family and companions, as is befitting his noble rank. Ameen. Allahumma ya kareem akramna bi nuru fahm, wa akhrajna min dhulumatul waham, wa la hawla wa la quwata ila billah. O Allah, the noble, the generous, we ask you to ennoble us with the light of understanding and to remove us from the shadows of illusion, and there is no power nor might except through God. I mean, uh, this week, what we're going to do is we're really going to talk about more of the meaning of the month of Ramadan. And whereas last week was about the what and the how to, this is about the why. Like, why is it that God asks us to fast? And why is it particularly that fasting has been elevated in such a way that it is actually one of the pillars of our religion. This is one of the five pillars. Uh, it is one of the major acts of worship. It stands alongside the prayer and pilgrimage to God's house in Mecca. Uh, it stands alongside giving charity on a yearly basis. So we're going to be talking about why it is that fasting has such a place of importance in our religion, generally speaking, uh, and then also why it is that fasting during the month of Ramadan is especially beloved to God. Before we move on to that, though, I want to um, clarify something from last week, because we were talking about the exceptions to the obligation to fast. So we talked about different categories of people who do not have to fast um, and how these exceptions that God gives us are mercies because God by no means intends that uh, fasting is to be a hardship for us, something that we do that unduly burdens us in a way that we cannot handle or that we cannot sustain over the course of the entire month. Um, one of the things that we are to never do um, as Muslims is to harm ourselves. So when fasting uh, becomes so difficult that we actually start to get to the point where we might harm ourselves, God provides a mercy for us. He provides a way out of this obligation. But we have to keep in mind that it is God who defines uh, what those exceptions are. It's not us, right? So if you are traveling, for example, uh, if you are sick, if you are pregnant, uh, or any of the other reasons that we discussed last week as an exception that God gives to fasting, then you may take one of those exceptions. 
but I want to make sure that I'm not misunderstood here to be saying that any exception that you deem worthy uh, to be an exception to fasting uh, is an exception that you may take. These are things that we have to let God define for us, and then we follow those guidelines to the best of our abilities, inshallah. Okay, so for this week, let's start talking about the meanings behind fasting by returning to a verse that we discussed last week, a verse from the Qur'an, where God actually points us towards why we do this in the first place. And this is a verse that you may have heard many times before, uh, that if you haven't, certainly you will hear many times going forward, inshallah. And this verse, uh, Allah says, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu kutiba alaykum as-siyama kama kutiba ala ladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqun. He says, O oh, you who believe, Fasting has been prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those who came before you. And there's more to the verse, but let's pause here um, because this is very important and really how we can start to think about what it is that really we're doing when we fast for the month of Ramadan. God is saying that you are being called here to engage in something that I have called other people to throughout history and across the world. Fasting is something that I have prescribed for other people who came before you. And so God is telling us that this practice that we are to engage in during the month of Ramadan is an ancient practice. It's something that connects us to the believing men and the believing women of the past, no matter what nation they belong to, no matter what religious community they may have belonged to, that whenever God sent a prophet to a people, and he tells us that he sent a prophet to every nation that has ever existed upon the face of the earth, that one of the things that these prophets Alayhim salam, may God be pleased with them. One of the things that they always did, one of the things that they always instituted amongst their people was fasting. And this is something that you can actually see if you kind of like do a survey of the world religions. You probably will not find a religion today that does not have some form of fasting in it, where throughout the year, uh, religious people, whether they are Christian or Jewish or Hindu or Buddhist, you will probably find them fasting at some point throughout their religious calendar. Christians, for example, fast during Lent, and that's the season that leads up to Easter. Jews fast on Yom Kippur. Um, the Buddha, the Buddha fasted uh, as one of his practices up to the point of him reaching enlightenment. If you read Buddhist stories about the Buddha today, uh, fasting was one of his practices. So this is something that you can look around and you will see the truth of the first half of this verse, that indeed this is something that God has given to every religious community probably that we could find today 
uh, fasting is a practice that they engage in. It is something that God prescribes to us that connects us to these other uh, communities who received revelation in the past. And then really comes the why. Why has God prescribed fasting for people through the ages? He says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ says, fasting has been prescribed to you as it was prescribed for those who came before you, that you might attain taqwa. And taqwa is one of these words in Arabic that has a lot of layered meanings. And so when it gets translated into English, you will see that it is translated often in various ways. Uh, I really like the translation of God consciousness. God consciousness, uh, especially when it comes to the month of Ramadan, because I think that really is what fasting is enabling for us. But you will also see it translated as the fear of God. Um, although when we say fear, we're not talking about fear in the sense that we normally think of it. Uh, I would say the all of God. All is bigger than fear. It includes fear, um, but it also contains a sense of wonder. Um, and when you are in a state of all, you are indeed in a state of heightened consciousness. So taqwa is the consciousness of God or being highly aware of who God is and the fact that he is our Lord, that he sees everything, that he provides for us, that this is not just something that we believe and we kind of keep in the back of our minds and when we happen to be reminded of it, we reflect on it, we give thanks for it, but that it is something that really comes to the forefront, that it is there with us as we are walking about through the day, that it is front and center as like the main motivation for why we live and why we engage in the activities that we engage in. That is what taqwa is, is being conscious uh, in a way of like really being awake to the reality of who your creator is. So God is saying that fasting enables this. Fasting enables God consciousness. And if we want to understand God consciousness as the companions understood it, we actually have access to a really beautiful narration. This is not a hadith because it did not uh, take place between the companions and the Prophet Rather, it took place between two different companions. And this happened when Omar, one of the great, great companions of the Prophet came to another companion named Ubay. And he asked Ubay, what is taqwa? What is this God consciousness that we speak about, that Allah speaks about in the Qur'an? I'm trying to understand what it means. Can you explain it to me? And Ubay responded to his question with a question. He said, have you ever taken a thorny path? Meaning like a, a path outside in the wilderness that is surrounded by thorny bushes. Have you ever taken a path like this? And Omar radiallahu anhu, may God be pleased with him, said, yes, I have. And Ubay asked him again, so then how did you travel along this thorny path? Like, what did you actually do 
uh, as you were walking amongst these thorns? And Omar replied, I rolled up my sleeves and I was cautious as to where I would tread to avoid being pricked by the thorns. And in response to this, Urbay said, this is taqwa. This is taqwa. Whereas if we were to walk a path that doesn't necessarily have any obstacles along it, we might walk somewhat carelessly. We may not look exactly where we are stepping. We may not look where we are placing our arms. When we walk along a thorny path, we are highly aware. We are very sensitive to everything that we are doing. We have a taqwa, like a consciousness of those thorns that is at the forefront of our minds as we are walking. And so by analogy, taqwa, as it relates to God, is keeping God at the forefront of your mind as you are going through your day-to-day -day life. That is taqwa. So what does fasting have to do with this? And like, how specifically does fasting enable this God consciousness for us? Because God is telling us that he is prescribing this practice of fasting for us so that we might attain taqwa. There must be a connection between the two. So what is that connection? Well, I think it's one of those things that, you know, like when you stop to really think about what you are doing when you fast, it becomes pretty apparent. Um, and if you've ever fasted before, I probably don't have to explain this to you because you've experienced it for yourself. But many people here are probably going to be fasting for the very first time. Uh, and it may not be so obvious. It certainly was not obvious to me when I first started fasting. In fact, it took me probably many years of experiencing the fast to really understand like the transformation that I went through every year when I would refrain from food and drink from sunup to sundown. But when we think about what it is that we're doing when we fast, we are abstaining from food, we are abstaining from drink, and we are abstaining from any form of sexual activity. And you look at these three things, and you can probably notice that they all have something in common. They relate to our biological reality, right? Food, water, and sex are things that our bodies crave naturally. Like if you go long enough without eating, your body will let you know that it is hungry, that it needs to be fed. Your body will let you know that it is thirsty, that you are getting dehydrated, that you need to give it some water. And your body will let you know, certainly that you have sexual appetites. So these are physical, like material aspects of our nature that we are very intentionally depriving when we fast. So what the fast is doing is it is actually reining in these biological imperatives that we all have that are natural, that we do not seek to get rid of. Fasting is not meant to destroy or to abolish these appetites, but what it is meant to do is to put them in check, 
to rein them in and really to rein them in so that they may become controllable, so that we may have command over these aspects of our being rather than having these aspects of our being have control over us. Now, that's very interesting, right? Um, but what does that have to do with taqwa? And I can sit here and explain it to you, and that's what I'm going to do. I am going to sit here and explain it to you. But I sincerely believe that once you try this for yourself, you'll get it. Like, it'll actually make sense. You will understand what a diminished nafs, and nafs means our lower self. It's that part of ourselves that we have in common with animals. It's our animalistic self. Right? Animals get hungry, they get thirsty, they have sexual urges. Right, We share that with them. When you diminish that part of yourself by depriving it of the things that feed it, literally, you're not giving fuel to that lower self. When you rein it in, what you will find is that your higher self, this part of us that is actually unique, that part of us that is our spirit, our ruh, the part of us that God breathed into us, that is a gift that we have and that other beings that God created, such as the animals, do not have. That when the nafs, when the lower self is diminished, the higher self takes control. It takes the driver's seat within your soul. And what that means is that it becomes easier to connect with God. This is something you will experience. I have little doubt about it because we're all built the same in this sense. This is something that you will feel. And quite literally, I think what many people experience is that, you know, maybe after that first week of fasting, because that first week of fasting is always rough. You're adapting to the fast. You're adapting to caffeine withdrawal. But after about a week, you get used to it. You know, you sort of, it's like, you know, airplanes that break the sound barrier. It's always very rough as you're approaching the speed of sound. But once you break the sound barrier, what pilots uh, report is that suddenly it just starts going very smoothly. And that's what fasting is like after about a week of being very, very shaky, sometimes literally. It's just smooth sailing. And part of what's so smooth about it is that your body actually quiets down. Like literally, like physically, uh, your stomach is not shouting at you at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, the time that you usually eat lunch. It's not shouting at you, hey, feed me. Your thirst isn't shouting at you like, hey, I'm thirsty. And certainly, I think you will find that what this does to your sexual appetites is it diminishes them. And so you are not distracted by the things that usually when you walk through your day throughout the rest of the year, 
tend to distract you. And your body actually enters into this state of quietness where because it literally is not sending you these alerts constantly, it becomes much easier to hear God. And what I mean by that is that part of yourself, which God tells you contains him. He says, my heavens and my earth cannot contain me, but the heart of my believing servant contains me. It is much easier to hear the heart when your stomach is not shouting at you. And, you know, like you think about what you do when you're working and you have a project that you need to focus on. What is like number one on your to-do list when you have to sit down and you have to focus for like two hours at a time? What is the first thing that probably most of us do? So we pick this up. We put it on silent so that we aren't getting a notification that is going to disturb us during our moment of focus and break that focus and distract us. Because, right, like once we look at the notification, it's like, okay, I've got my phone in my hand. Maybe I'll check Twitter. Maybe I'll check my email. Maybe I got some messages while I was working. And before you know it, 15 minutes is gone. Half an hour is gone because that focus has been broken. And you cannot work as deeply. You cannot work as intently as you would if you had not received that notification, if your phone hadn't beeped at you or buzzed at you and distracted you. That's exactly what is going on when we fast. We're not getting these notifications from our stomach, and we're not getting these notifications that our stomach enables. <clears throat> by giving us that fuel that really feeds the lower self. So it's like that. When you sort of get it under control, you get this one organ, the stomach, under control, it becomes much easier to listen to this other organ, which is literally higher within your body. Uh, it's almost too good to not be an intentful analogy. You get to tune into your heart. You hear what your heart is saying to you. And because you can hear what your heart is saying to you, you can hear what God is saying to you. And when you can listen to what God is saying to you, suddenly it's much easier to understand what it is that you're really here to do. Like in this month of worship, you know, you came in with these intentions, you want to get closer to God, maybe you want to do that by reading more Quran, or you want to do that by going to the Tarawih prayer every night. But as we enter the month, and we're not in this mode of fasting yet, we have these intentions that maybe they sound good on paper, but we don't quite understand like the true like deep motivation that's there but once we get through that first week of fasting we can really listen to our heart and really understand what it is that it's pushing us to do like what is it that i actually need to work on in this month to get closer to god we can actually hear our heart telling us these things and we can actually begin to work on these things and it's for this reason 
that fasting is so beloved to God. It's for this reason that God made it a pillar of our religion, alongside the prayer, alongside traveling across the world to visit him at his house. And fasting, God tells us, is unique for this reason. Because what happens when you enter into this state where your body has quieted down, where you have really like uh, no choice but to listen to your heart? It becomes impossible not to hear what it's saying to you. You enter into these deep, intimate, and really secret conversations with God. This is why it's so beloved to him. And God says in a Hadith Qudsi, which is a narration that comes directly from God, which the Prophet ﷺ relays to us. God says, fasting is mine, and it is I who give reward for it. A person who gives up their sexual passion, their food and their drink for my sake. Fasting is like a shield, and the one who fasts has two joys. A joy when they break their fast, and a joy when they meet their Lord. The change in the breath of the mouth of the one who fasts is better in God's estimation than the smell of musk. This is a generous statement because if you've ever smelled Ramadan breath, especially in that first week, in that first week you're expelling a lot of these toxins from your body. Your breath doesn't smell good. In fact, you want to be sort of like six feet apart, practicing social distancing in that first week, especially of Ramadan, because people's breath stink. But to God, it is a beloved smell because the thing that we are undertaking is something really, at the end of the day, is an act of love that can only be done for God. You literally can't fast for the sake of anyone else because no one else will know if you are truly fasting or not. Only God will know. It's very easy to not fast and pretend that you're fasting. You know, unless you're under like 24-7 surveillance, then you can sneak a cheeseburger. You can sneak a Snickers bar. You can sneak whatever it is you want to eat when people aren't looking. Only you and only God truly know if you are fasting. And this is why God says in this hadith that fasting is mine and it is I who give reward for it. If you fast, you can only do that for the sake of God. And if you fast, you will be put in a state where your connection to God is deepened in a way that it simply is not when you are not fasting. And very interestingly, he says, and it is I who give reward for it. Now, for most of our actions, God enumerates the reward that he gives. For any normal good action that we do, whether that is praying our prayer on time or that is, you know, helping someone who needs your help, God rewards you multiple times, up to 10 times. That's where he enumerates it. Up to 10 times 
So it's as if you prayed on time 10 times, or it's as if you helped a person in need seven times. And there are other acts of worship, such as praying in the sanctuary in Mecca, which he rewards like up to a thousand times. A prayer there is a thousand times better than a prayer in other places. A prayer on the night of power, a night that we actually look for during the month of Ramadan, Laylatul Qadr. A prayer on that night, one prayer, is worth the worship of a thousand months which if you do the math comes out to about one human lifetime. So God everywhere enumerates the reward that he places within certain actions, except for fasting. He doesn't tell us. And this is actually kind of like a good litmus test for like what your opinion of God is. So like, what do you think when you hear that? Why wouldn't God tell us what the number is? Is it because he's incredibly stingy or because he's incredibly generous? Because he wants to reward us in ways that we can't even comprehend. Well, God tells us, I am as my servant thinks of me. I am as my servant thinks of me. So if you think of God as being stingy, then you will indeed find God to be that way. God will actually... Uh, Act according to your expectation of him. But if you expect God to be generous, if you expect that God actually wants you to succeed, that God wants to tip the scales in your favor, then that is what you will find of God. And that, if I have to like assign a value to what is being said here, that is the correct judgment. God does not tell us how he rewards fasting during the month of Ramadan because we can't possibly understand what the reward for fasting in the month of Ramadan is. You can't value it. You can't put a number to it. Think of the biggest number that you can imagine, and it's still too little. It's still not enough to understand what God is going to give you for fasting in this month, year after year. And God says, actually, in a different um, narration of this hadith, he says, every deed that the son of Adam, and that's all of us, every deed that the son of Adam does is multiplied, a single deed as 10 times the like of it, up to 700 times. And God Almighty said, except for fasting, as it is for me, and I will reward it. They leave their desires and their food for my sake. That because you leave these things that really are most beloved to us, right? Like if you go a day without eating, you don't want anything more than to eat. That is beloved to you. Probably more beloved to you than a whole lot of money if you're really, really hungry. If you get really, really thirsty, there is probably no limit to the amount of money that you would spend on a glass of water if you were like dying of thirst. So these things are incredibly beloved to us, but we leave them for God's sake. And because we leave these things that we cherish, God will give us something that we cherish even more.
So what is the meaning of Ramadan? Um, really, you can think of this month as being our yearly tarbiyah, which means like our yearly training or our yearly uh, spiritual school session. Um, because, you know, we get out of the month of Ramadan. We celebrate Eid al-Fitr, uh, which is the, the celebration at the end of Ramadan. And then, you know, we start going about our business. We fall back into old habits. Hopefully not all of them, but often we fall back into our old habits. Uh, we fall back into a certain complacency or even a certain laziness when it comes to performing our religious duties. So that by the time the next Ramadan rolls around, we have a whole lot of stuff that we need to work on. And we are probably in dire need of listening to our heart again, of actually hearing what it is that God has been trying to say to us throughout the rest of the year. This is our chance to listen. This is our chance to really like uh, put away all of the distractions, to put away all of those things that we usually occupy ourselves with throughout the rest of the year to the exclusion of God and tune back in with our creator so that we can take another long, hard look at our hearts and use that month to clean it and to get it in a state where we are ready to go in to the rest of the year, inshallah, uh, with renewed intention and with new practices that will actually get us to the next Ramadan better than the one that we just left. So that is sort of the general idea behind why we fast and what it does for us during this month. But let us not forget that not everyone fasts during Ramadan. And we need to keep this in mind for two reasons. One is that if you do not fast because you have a legitimate excuse, such as a medical issue or such as a pregnancy or whatever the case may be, then you receive the reward of the fasting person if you do the expiation for those fasts, the expiations that we talked about last week. As long as you are doing that, you are still engaged in this month of worship and you receive the reward um, and the closeness, the nearness to God, right? Because ultimately, despite the fact that we undertake this fast, it is God who draws us near. It is God who speaks to us through our hearts. And so we technically do not need that if God has given us an excuse, if he's given us a way out, and we take that way out, we can expect that God is still working on our heart in exactly the same way. So that's the first thing. The people who do not fast and who take advantage of God's mercy, that same yearly tarbiyah, that exercise, that school is there for them too. But there are special things about the month of Ramadan that transcend the fast. There are mercies attached to this month 
that have nothing to do with the fast. They're just mercies that God placed within this month that we need to be aware of so that by being aware of them, we can avail ourselves of them, inshallah. The Prophet said that Ramadan is the month whose beginning is mercy, its middle forgiveness, and its end emancipation from the fire of hell. So we take this quite literally, that its beginning is mercy, its middle forgiveness, and its end is emancipation from the hellfire. So three parts to it. We divide the month into three parts. The month, the lunar month, is about 30 days. So for the first 10 days, we actually consider those to be the days of mercy. And so during the days of mercy, whether you're fasting or not fasting, um, whether you are able to, um, you know, go to Tarawih prayers or to read the Quran, you certainly are able to make dua. You are able to call upon God to just pray to him in a free-flowing fashion, conversationally. And so one of the things that it is very good to do during these first 10 days is to ask God for his mercy, because he's told you, these are the days of mercy. And likewise, in the second 10 days, to ask God for forgiveness. Because in each of these 10 days, God is looking to give the things to the believers that he has told us are in those specific days, in the last 10 days, because we have received God's mercy, because we have received his forgiveness, inshallah, and we believe that we do. There's no question about it. And there's no question of like, did I do well enough? Am I deserving enough? No, we just believe that God is generous and that he gives these things, regardless of what our opinions of ourselves may be. God's opinion of us is high because we are engaged in this act of worship that he has told us is beloved to him. We believe that God is just giving these things to us. So we believe that we get his mercy. We believe that we get his forgiveness. And we believe that in the final 10 days, he emancipates us from the hellfire, meaning he actually makes it haram, forbidden for us to ever touch the hellfire. But we ask God for that. We fulfill his rights of lordship over us because we are needy of God. And God can give us absolutely anything that he wants to give us. So when he tells you that, I want to give you mercy in the first 10 days. I want to give you forgiveness in the second 10 days. I want to emancipate you from the fire of hell in the final 10 days. You ask those things of him with the understanding that he absolutely is going to give it to you. Unquestionably. And finally, you know, when we talk about sort of what, what is special about this month, you know, it, the qualities that it has that, you know, transcend the fast, 
<clears throat> this is also a month where uh, we are freed from the normal influence that we have from evil forces in the unseen. So uh, we will talk about this when we get into the classes on the Articles of Faith. But one of the things that we believe in, because God informs us of this in the Quran, is that you know the unseen reality is not just filled with God, uh, and it's not just filled with his angels, but it is also filled with beings who inhabit this world alongside us that we cannot see, which are called jinn. And these beings um, are just like us in the sense that they can do good and they can do evil. They can believe in Allah and his messenger, or they can disbelieve in Allah and his messenger. Uh, and that, in fact, they will be judged alongside human beings at the end of time. But that one of the types of beings that inhabit this world alongside us are the shayateen, literally like devils. There are evil, malignant forces that normally inhabit this world alongside us. And during the month of Ramadan, we are freed from their influence in the way that we are normally subjected to it. And I won't go too much into what this means, but one of the things that we understand uh, to be their influence upon us at all times is suggestion. In Arabic, we say waswasa, which literally means like whispering. But this is something that you can actually sort of observe happen within your own heart that sometimes you will just get a particularly nasty thought that is not characteristic of you, right? Like, so say you, you're a generous person. Like, you are not by any means stingy. In fact, when people come to ask you for something, for some help or some money or some guidance on something, you just, you give it really without thinking. But say you're driving along one day and you're sitting at an intersection and someone taps on your window, they're homeless, and they ask you for a dollar. And you think, oh, like, get out of here. Absolutely not. And that is not your innate disposition. That's not how you usually are. What we actually understand about that is that that is a satanic influence. That is a suggestion that was whispered into your heart by one of these malignant forces. Now, during the month of Ramadan, we are actually freed from this. The Messenger of God, وسلم, said, On the first night of the month of Ramadan, the devils are chained, the jinn are restrained, and the gates of the hellfire are closed, and none of its gates are opened. The gates of paradise are opened, and none of its gates are closed. A caller announces, O seeker of good, come near. O seeker of evil, stop short. Allah will save them from the hellfire, and that is during every night of Ramadan. So this is something that, again, transcends fasting. 
whether you're fasting or not, you are freed from the suggestions of these evil forces. Now, what do we do with this information? Well, like I said, the month of Ramadan is a time really to get in touch with our own hearts. It's a time to listen in ways that we don't normally listen throughout the rest of the year. And it becomes possible, possible, not simply through fasting, but possible because our heart is also cleared from all of the evil suggestions that we are normally used to living with. That it becomes incredibly easy, whether we are fasting or not, to tune in to what our heart is saying and being able to know that no matter what you are hearing from your heart, it is coming from God or it is coming from one of his angels who only obey the command of God. And you can also know that whatever evil you are hearing come out of your heart during the month of Ramadan, that's from your own self. And so one of the uses of this is that it actually is a time where we should be taking notes. Literally, we should be taking notes. Like, what is my heart commanding me to do that God commands me not to do during this month? Because you can be pretty sure that whatever it is, that is from your own self. That's not something that is uncharacteristic of you. Rather, that is something that is an evil or that is a, a form of bad or a type of misdeed that you're inclined to that you have become habituated to, that you have actually assimilated into your own soul. And so that by literally marking that down, you can go into the rest of the year saying, I'm going to work on this thing. You know what? I actually realized that I am a stingy person. That even during this month of Ramadan, I do not want to give money to people who are in need of it. I do not want to give my time to people who come asking of it. And so maybe I'll start working on that during this month and into the next year, because I have identified this as being actually part of my own self. So that is one of the ways that we can avail ourselves of this month. And then finally, and then we'll close. I mentioned it already, but there is the night of power, Laylatul Qadr. And this is a month that God says in the Quran is better than, or this is a night rather, that God says in the Quran is better than a thousand months. The only problem is that we don't know exactly when it is. So what we do is we go out looking for it. We have approximate knowledge of when it probably is. It is probably in the last 10 nights of Ramadan. And within those 10 nights, it is probably on one of the odd nights. So the 21st, the 23rd, the 25th, the 27th, the 29th. We go out looking for it. And the way that we look for it is we intensify our worship. During a month where we have already intensified our worship, hopefully, we intensify it even further. So we pray even more than we normally do throughout the rest of the month. We make dua more than we usually do throughout the rest of the month. We give in charity more than we usually do, even throughout the rest of the month of Ramadan. 
And we do it with the intention of looking for this night with the expectation that we will find it. Because again, God is not stingy. He wants us to find it. And he takes that intention of looking for it and guides us to it. You can bet on that. That is something that you can believe in, that God will guide you to it. And that through guiding you to it, he will give you the reward of a lifetime of worship, a lifetime of dua, a lifetime of giving charity. So we look for this night. Um, and, you know, through these practices, through fasting, through, um, you know, fulfilling the expiations if we cannot fast, through um, seeking God's mercy and his forgiveness and emancipation from the hellfire, really checking in with our hearts with the intention of understanding who we really are, that doing all of these things, we avail ourselves <coughs> of the full meanings of this month. And we really, 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 we draw nearer to our Lord in ways that we cannot throughout the rest of the year. A'udhu billahi minash shaitan ar-rajim, bismillahirrahmanirrahim, wal-asr inna l-insana lafi khusr, ila ladhina amanu wa'amilu salihati wa tawassaw bil-haqqi wa tawassaw bil-sabr. Ameen. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.